Welcome to the Kingdom Influencing Podcast, and I'm your host, Derek L. Calhoun. KIP, for short, brings you an exclusive look at the nature of humanity as we interface with culture and society in and out of our relationship with God. It explores the unique and contrasting position of having a biblical worldview versus a secular or societal worldview. I will explore these topics using the powerful and dynamic tools of the didactic narrative, teaching a relevant truth through storytelling, biblical exposition, teaching Bible principles, and of course, real talk. My background scans a diversity of over 35 years of work in education, government, law, ministry, business development, and consulting, respectively. Each guest speaker will bring a variety of wisdom and insight to life topics and situations that we encounter on a daily basis. So all I need you to do now as listeners is to sit back and enjoy the podcast, spread the word about KIPP, the Kingdom Influencing Podcast, and I will be your host, Derek L. Calhoun. That's hashtag K-I-P, hashtag K-I-P. Help me to make KIPP your favorite Friday podcast. Now, let's get started. Hey, we're progressing right along. We're in the midst of a series entitled Get Your Head On Straight. I want to continue to talk about the royal priesthood and the kingdom of priests. I'd like to do part two, but first I'd like to take the time to welcome all of the kingdom influencing nation all over the world. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for sharing this podcast. Thank you for being faithful to listening to this podcast week after week. I hope it is blessing your life tremendously. Um, We are endeavoring to get God some glory and and hopefully this transformative word will help you establish that relationship with God. So um, let's let's. or at least continue to build in your relationship with God. But let's let's get right to it. Um, talking about royal priesthood and the kingdom of priests. Royal priesthood and the kingdom of priests. This is part two. As a kingdom priest, you must understand the original intent of the Bible, which is a term used to describe God's word. The Bible is a term used to describe God's word. And the sequence of events perpetrated by humanity as it relates to his word. So in the Bible, you have God's established word. Then you have humanity. And God's established word is supposed to be superimposed upon the lifestyle of those of us who represent humanity. However, what God does as a caveat is he gives all of us free will. So then he tells us how to create order in our lives but he gives you the opportunity to either agree with that or disagree with that, okay? And so uh, we're all free moral agents. But but what I do want to say about God's word is that God's word was designed to maintain divine order. All right. So you get Adam in the garden. We'll go back to Genesis, go right back to the beginning. You get Adam in the garden. He would, of course, represent the first priest. Eve would be the second priest. Uh, The priesthood represent those who 
maintain the order of God. They are uh, the, uh, uh, if you will, biological representation of the spiritual being, our spiritual father, God, uh, in the earth. And we have a role to play. And so what he does is he'll give us a, a, uh, a word, uh, which is his will. And hopefully we will take that word and follow through on that process. So let, let's give you an example. In the book of Genesis, uh, in the uh, second chapter, God begins to speak to Adam and he says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So then Adam has a choice. He's clear that if he eats of this tree, he'll die. All right. He can eat of all the other trees in the garden. And so as long as he doesn't eat in, of this tree, order is maintained, divine order. In other words, the things that God established in the life of Adam and in the life of humanity would remain the same as long as he did not eat of the tree. So in comes Satan, uh, Satan uh, beguiles both Adam and Eve, but particularly Adam, because as you know in the text, that the word was given to Adam. Adam was then responsible for transferring that word to Eve. And then they were both supposed to execute the word. And that's where we all come into conflict. We will know the word. And I, I could probably uh, ask you all to raise hands. I don't want you to have an accident, but let's say uh, if I was to get a survey, I bet 90% of us would say we know the word. But the process of executing the word becomes very difficult for us because it's a matter of discipline. Let me give you my definition of discipline. Discipline is one of the most difficult human attributes to both acquire and sustain. Discipline is one of the most difficult human attributes to acquire and sustain because it's, it's very difficult for us to maintain the focus of God. However, that's why we pray. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. And that's why we have forgiveness and repentance so that we can ask God to forgive us when we sin and fall short. But we shouldn't go at it from a, pers a perspective that we're just going to do what we want to do and then ask God to forgive us. We need to at least put up a good fight against uh, the wiles of our flesh. So then the word was designed to maintain divine order. As a man continues to overrule God's word, we experience the consequence of this disorder all right the consequence of disorder so the opposite of order is disorder the uh, prefix dis means apart so disorder would be departure from the rule of god or departure from the order of god so even when we disagree we are no longer in agreement with his sovereign rule in the earth we are not in agreement with his sovereign rule in the earth. And we need to get to a place where as a royal priesthood, as a community of priests, that we agree with God's word in spite of everything that is around us that tells us we should disagree with God's word. All right. You have an entire society and an entire uh, demonizing of the faith that says our word is irrelevant. It's insensitive. It's barbaric. It's uh, uh, inconceivable that there's a God in, in, in the, uh, if you will, stratosphere 
who then tells people in the earth what to do. All right. So we have a lot of, of uh, contestments, if you will, uh, a lot of adversarial uh, uh, attacks that are against the faith in which we believe. But we have to stand and believe regardless because there's testimony to how this thing goes. Let's, let's take a look for a minute. And, and we talked about the word giving order. So here is an example. Two priests uh, uh, from the lineage of Adam and Eve, uh, Cain and Abel. I'm just going to read a little bit of that from uh, Genesis chapter 4. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected, the Lord loved Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So he caught a, a straight attitude because his offering was not accepted. But you have to understand something. Based on the text, Abel gave the very best that he could give, the firstborn of his flock and their fat, which is the, you know, the good portion of the food. Whereas Cain just brought an offering. Notice it's an offering. So if we were to look at it grammatically, the word the firstborn is definitive. It means something specific. When it says an offering, it means something indiscriminate, something that is not necessarily the best, okay? It's it just, I had offering out there, I had fruit, you know, this fruit's good, he'll give it to God. So the Lord said to Cain, here we go, God's word, here we go. Why are you angry and why was your countenance fallen? If you do well, if you do what's right, will you not be accepted? And if you do not well, what's right, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. There is sin wants to get us, all right? Wants to get us in a snare. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field, Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Now you could see order and disorder. The order was God said, listen, sin is at the door. You, you, you need to back down. You need to break this thing down. And uh, uh, instead, uh, Cain chose to pursue his brother, to kill his brother, which we would call today premeditated murder. This is actually the first murder in the Bible, Genesis 4, verses 3-8. It was the posture of Abel's heart that allowed God to receive his offering. It was his best. It was the negated posture of Cain's offering that allowed God to reject his offering. And then he got an attitude because he did not give God his best. All right. As much as God has done for us, all of us understand or should understand that whenever we do something to God or for God, it ought to be our very, very best. All right, because God has done the very, very best for us. His love for us is uncanny. You think about it. Everything in Genesis that was created was not created for him. It was created for us. And so if we demonstrate love, God uh, showed his love for us that 
he died on the cross for us, that Christ died on the cross for us, or that love is a demonstration, not just a word. So when God creates the heavens and the earth and the stars and the moon and everything that we enjoy today, we have to see that he did not need these things, but he gave us these things, made us stewards over these things, told us to be fruitful, to multiply, to replenish, to subdue, to have dominion on his behalf. And he did this because he loved us. And so we love God because he first loved us. All right. So let, let's move on from that. But so then to understand that the Bible is not just a book of do's and don'ts. The Bible is a book to help us maintain sustainable divine order in our lives. The Bible is a book that helps us to overcome the challenges that come against us every day. And when the more we read it, the more we see the challenges, the more we're able to evade the challenges, the more we're able to evade the traps, the more we're able to evade the tricks of the enemy. All right. So not only does the Bible do that, but the Bible speaks to us in every aspect of our lives. Let's get that every literal aspect of our lives. So I want to talk to you and I said I would talk to you a little bit about the five stages of wealth, the five stages of wealth. And there are indeed five stages that uh, uh, are pertinent for me in my life. And I'm going to share them with you. I think I've shared them before, but I'm going to go into a, a lot more detail uh, today than I've done in the past. And I'm not sure how far I'll get into this, but I'll get as far as we can for today's podcast. So watch this. The first one is spiritual wealth. Spiritual wealth. That is our first basis and foundation for wealth. It is in our relationship with God. Watch this. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto us. We should be in a posture of always seeking the face of God. Always seeking the face of God. Why? Why should we seek the face of God? Because this is the natural order of how we serve God. When we seek the face of God, we serve God. So watch this. Your spiritual wealth is your relationship with God. So then I give you a scripture from the book of Mark, the 12th chapter, 31st. Love the Lord your God with all your whole heart, soul, and mind and all your strength. So it's our whole heart, all of it, our soul, our mind, and all of our strength. That's how we love the Lord. And so we wouldn't want to get into a place because the minute when you start talking about wealth, most people automatically digress to money, but money is on the lowest end of the wealth strategy. Uh, it, it is the lowest end. And, and let me tell you why. Now, money will deceive you and if you just want to be rich, you're missing out on the blessing of being wealthy. And, and I, and I want to help you from a couple of different vantage points because we can talk about wealth spiritually and we can talk about wealth uh, uh, physically. Uh, but I, I want to talk about wealth spiritually. But let me give you some scriptures that will help you uh, to understand uh, what I'm saying. 
let's look at uh, Proverbs 28 20. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. It's not about being rich. It's not about being in a place. Some people just want to be rich so they can flaunt money, so they can chase women, so that they can do all kinds of things that just show off that they have a little bit more than other people. That's not the object of our faith. That's not the object of the object of our faith will always be God. So our desire is to demonstrate what a godly lifestyle is. That's what the priest does. He demonstrates what a godly lifestyle is and what the fruit of that lifestyle is. All right. Let me give you another scripture about just pursuing riches. And that's why I say it's like at the lowest end of the spectrum. Proverbs 23 and 5. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle towards heaven. It's almost like the sooner, the faster you get them, the faster it's gone. So riches is not our pursuit. And it's not that God doesn't want you to have money, doesn't want you to have things. That's that's not the Bible because the priests do uh, get uh, an allotment for those things in their life based on their ability to handle it, based on their ability to manage stewardship. And so Deuteronomy 8.18 says, And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day so the wealth quadrant or the wealth analysis or the wealth uh, uh contingency in the life of a priest is, is been sworn to our father so let's look at the five stages of wealth i'm going to look at the five stages of wealth i'm going to give you a definition a couple of definitions of wealth and then we'll pick up next week and, and we'll talk some more about these stages okay so let me backtrack just a little bit and give you my definition of wealth. This is my definition of wealth, okay? And we'll talk about uh, Miriam or Oxford definition a little later, but this helps me to help you to, to establish a framework for the five stages of kingdom wealth, which I'll tell you again, I'll go through them all uh, in, in just a minute. So here's my definition of wealth. Wealth is a proactive mindset that establishes a framework and strategy for every facet of our lives, including our spirituality, our common community. When I say common community, I'm talking about the people that we are in association with during the course of our general lives. You know, there's a certain sphere that we kind of navigate between the banks, the grocery store, the bakery, the cleaners, you know, uh, your investment house or, or whatever that you navigate on a regular basis. And so that becomes your common community, of course, your family and friends, um, your mental, emotional and physical and financial wealth. Wealth then is the creation of a sustainable mindset that is transferred from generation to generation to ensure legacy. Wealth is a creation of a sustainable mindset that is transferred from generation to generation to ensure legacy. So then as priests, we ought to develop these five stages of wealth so that then we can transfer these things to our children and their children's 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 children in order to create legacy that glorifies God. Okay, so watch this. When I say legacy, divine legacy, the sustainable gift of God that is passed down from generation to generation where God is the center focus of our lives 
Hence, creating a model for generational wealth. All right? A model for generational wealth. So, here are, again, the five stages of kingdom wealth. Uh, I talked about spiritual wealth, our relationship with God. Communal wealth, your relationship with people. It is communal, community. Uh, the common group of people that you interact with and interface with on a regular basis. So then love your neighbor as you love yourself. Mark 12, 31. Then we get to mental and emotional uh, wealth. Mental and emotional wealth. You know, making sure our mind is stable, making sure our emotions are stable. And I love this scripture, uh, 3 John and 2. Beloved, I wished above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospers. And it also then helps us to generate an understanding of physical wealth, which is wealth stage number four, and making sure that we have all things in order, uh, our spiritual wealth, our relationship with God, our communal wealth, our relationship with people, our mental and emotional wealth, our physical wealth, and then finally, our financial wealth. Because I believe when the other four are in order, that that fifth one will begin to manifest as a natural manifestation of living in right order with God. So we have a plethora of things that we need to work on. I, I want to talk more about uh, our spiritual wealth and communal wealth and mental, emotional, and then physical wealth and then financial wealth in another podcast. But I, I want to assure you that when we remember to keep God first, when we remember that all other seeds generate, all of the seeds of our life generate from God being the focus of our life because he wants us to be blessed. And blessed, of course, is not just financially blessed, but it's a state of mind where we're content in the space or the relationship that we have with God. So watch this. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seeks him. Now, so when we come to God, we must believe that he is God. And then God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He, he wants to bless us. Watch this. Uh, God will do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can think and or ask according to the power, the stirring of our faith that worketh within us. There must be something working within us as a kingdom of priests. There's a relationship with God, a bond with God that we know he is a reward of those who diligently seek him. As a matter of fact, those who know their God shall do great exploits. These are scriptures that we use, that I use in my life. Uh, seek ye first, my favorite, Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And Isaiah, if you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good and the fat of the land. So it's about coming into agreement with God's word, coming into divine order, coming into divine posture. That is the posture of a priest. He submitted to God. He submitted to God's word. He submitted to God's will. He submitted to God's way. And then the fruit of that submission is the blessings of God that can manifest in so many different ways. We don't want to miss it. We want to connect with God in our spiritual health, wealth, our communal wealth, mental and emotional wealth, our physical wealth and our financial wealth 
will all be determinants of that initial relationship with God. Listen, God bless you. So much more to say. I'll save it for another podcast. I I hope you're getting the point. This Bible that people ignore and keep on their shelves and coffee tables and collecting dust, it is critical that we read a little bit every day, that we digest a little bit every day, and that we come into agreement with the word of God for our lives because God desires to bless you more than you want to bless yourself. Listen, you've been listening to the Kingdom Influencing Podcast. I am your host, Derek L. Calhoun. Have a wonderful, supernatural blessed week. And until uh, you tune in next week, pursue the things of the kingdom. Remember, you are a royal priesthood and we exist to be a kingdom of priests. God bless.